welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. Hello there, everyone. Today, we are having another show of the legal merry-go-round. Yes, that's right. The ups and the downs. That carnival ride we all remember as children applies to the law. The ups and the downs. So I share with you my hope and my fervent desire that you always avoid the downs and you savor the ups. Today I want to talk about police entrapment. Yes, that's right. When the police do something that leads to someone committing a crime. So is this something that can be used to get out from under? Is this a defense? Is this a way to have the gavel hit the platform and the judge says, not guilty? Entrapment. Entrapment in the law is what is known as an affirmative defense. So that means that if and when the state or the prosecution, the district attorney, whoever is prosecuting on behalf of the state, proves that a crime was committed, then entrapment can be shown, if it exists, as a defense to allow for the reversal of the conviction of the crime. Even though a crime was committed, if the defendant, the criminal, shows that he or she was entrapped by police, then in in that situation, we'll get a not guilty verdict. And the burden is on the now theoretically convicted criminal to prove entrapment. Entrapment is by law enforcement, by police, by federal agents, not by a private citizen or a non-police-connected person. So if the police get Joe, who is not a police officer, to go and set up this potential crime, then Joe's working with the police, and that would be allowed to be an entrapment. But if Joe, having nothing to do with any police officer or agent or what have you, any connection to the authorities, goes and does the same thing, then that's not an entrapment situation. Entrapment is law enforcement approaching someone and introducing the idea of committing a crime. It must be shown that the individual was not ready and willing to commit the crime. And it must be shown that the police or agents did more than just provide the opportunity. They actually did some persuasion or coercion of this individual to commit the crime. Now, depending upon what state you're in, and depending upon whether this is a state or a federal offense being charged, there are understandably in the law two different standards to prove up the defense of entrapment. The first is called the objective standard where the actions of the police would have induced any law-abiding citizen to commit a crime. It's clear. 
the subjective standard is one where the defendant must prove that he didn't have any predisposition to commit the crime, regardless of the acts of the police, even if the police actions were extreme and inappropriate. So the objective and the subjective different standards, one, the focus is solely on what the police did, and the other, the subjective, is the focus on not the police, but on the individual who committed the crime. So I'm going to talk about two cases, and then after the break, I'm going to come back and tell you what happened in these cases. We have one involving a federal case, Sherman versus the United States, and it was captioned that way. Usually, you know, if you're familiar with the the cases in the law, the first named party in the case is the one making the claim uh, in cases of... uh, uh, injury, for instance, Jones versus Smith. Jones is the one who was injured. He's suing Smith. And in criminal cases, typically you see the name of the jurisdiction. So it would be the state of, pick a state, Texas, the state of my, uh, uh, my grandmother, the state of uh, uh, your grandfather, t- the state of Tennessee, the Commonwealth of Virginia, it doesn't matter, the state, the United States of America versus then the defendant, the individual charged with a crime. But here, the case was actually uh, titled Sherman versus the United States because of what happened. Uh, The case was identified because of the appeal of the conviction. So Sherman originally was charged uh, with the sale of narcotics. A government informant uh, and Sherman initially met in a hospital where they were both being treated for drug addiction. The informant eventually asked Sherman where he could get drugs because they were both experiencing difficulty in overcoming their addictions. So Sherman tried to avoid the issue. The informant kept coming at him and acted as though he was suffering and continuously kept pressing the issue. Finally, Sherman gives in, and he says that uh, he got drugs from his supplier and he can get them to the informant, which he does. And he gives them to the government informant. And then, of course, Sherman is tried and convicted for the sale of narcotics. And he's convicted at trial. And then he claims that he is entrapped by a federal agent who induced him to take part in this illegal transaction when otherwise he would not have done so. So again, we have these these concepts and and definitions of what is entrapment. Here, the court, the federal court reviewing this, said that entrapment only occurs when the criminal conduct was the product of the creative activity of law enforcement officials. So the question is whether the conviction should be set aside on the basis of entrapment. I'm going to tell you after the break. Next, we have another federal case, interestingly enough, here, and it was titled United States versus uh, Russell. And this was a case out of Texas where an agent, uh, a federal agent, goes to uh, this guy, Russell, who is looking for a specific type of chemical to complete the combination needed to make methamphetamine. And there's numerous conversations back and forth. Uh, 
Uh, you've seen these TV shows where their police are trying to get somebody on this type of thing. So the the agent eventually says, look, I'll bring you the chemical that you need, but first you have to show me the meth. And so that does take place. The meth is shown. The, uh, the guy, Russell, then takes the chemical back and manufactures the drug so that it can be sold on the street. Very dangerous drug, of course. And there is a conviction. And of course, Russell comes back and says, hey, I was entrapped. This, this wasn't me. Uh, this was completely the undercover agent. So the defendant comes in, Russell says, and uh, he says that he believes that his conviction should be reversed because the undercover agent supplied an essential chemical for manufacturing the meth, which formed the basis of my conviction. In this case, the court expanded a little bit their existing laws of what is entrapment, that whenever the court determines that there has been an intolerable degree of government participation in the criminal enterprise, then this is entrapment. So there's an appeals process that goes back and forth, as you can imagine, and I'm going to tell you after the break what happened to Mr. Russell here. Don't go too far. I'll be right back. Have you ever gotten on the wrong flight? You ever take the wrong road? All right. So, you know, what happens? You've got to redo, undo, overdo. Dr. Edward Gramson and his partner booked a first-class flight through British Airways to Granada, Spain in 2014. They got on the wrong plane. They were intending to go to the small Caribbean island country of Grenada. Grenada was spelled correctly on their tickets, but again, they didn't notice uh, that they were on the wrong flight until about 20 minutes after uh, they had taken off. So in total, they took seven flights over three days to finally get to their original intended location. And in the process, they spent $2,776. So their lawsuit against British Airways, again, they got on the wrong flight, their fault. They sued British Airways for $34,000, claiming that that was their first class flight's cost and lost wages. Case, as I'm sure you can imagine, was dismissed Uh, The judge in the ruling of the case and dismissing it said that maybe they should have stayed where they are. Grenada has some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. All right, so now we're going to go to the break and we'll come back soon. Thanks. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. 
Then either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. So welcome back. Have you been entrapped? Did your spouse tell you that you had to take out the trash and that they were going to let everybody know of something nasty you did if you don't take out the trash? Is that entrapment? Absolutely not. You know why? Because your spouse is not police. Well, okay. Stupid example. Just having fun with you. Let's talk about that first case. This is the case where the government informant met the defendant, Mr. Sherman, in a hospital and kept coming back over and over and over again, telling him that I need drugs. My recovery as an addict is not going well and I'm in pain. I need drugs. Please, man, please. You got to help me out. You got to hook me up. Well, as you might imagine, based on the inferences that I've been using in my tone of voice, this is a case where the court decided that Sherman was not guilty. Well, he in fact was guilty, but he had a defense. The defense was entrapment. The conviction was reversed. Here's kind of what the law is based on what the court said it was. The function of law enforcement is the prevention of crime and the apprehension of criminals. That function does not include the manufacturing of crime. A separate situation occurs where police implant in the mind of citizens the act of committing a crime. The law would not have intended that its situations and statutes and rules and regulations were to be enforced by tempting innocent people into violations. However, where the government officials simply afford opportunities to conduct crime, that is not entrapment. In this case, the court said that the informant clearly induced the crime. The informant attempted multiple times to create the crime after multiple rejections and did so in the context of a recovering drug addict whose ability to refuse was comparatively reduced. He not only procured a source of narcotics, but apparently also induced the defendant to return to the habit. Now, when you have written opinions by courts, typically you'll see that there is one judge, if it's more than a a single judge, they'll write an opinion. And if there's more than one judge or justice, and in this case there was, uh, there'll be the possibility that there might be concurring or agreeing opinions or dissenting opinions. 
So here there was another judge writing a concurrence. He said that the courts refused to convict an entrapped defendant, not because his conduct falls outside uh, what the law would require, but because even if his guilt was admitted, the methods employed on behalf of the government to bring about the conviction cannot be allowed. The question should always be which to which court uh, the court must address itself is whether the police conduct revealed in the particular case fell below standards which common feelings would respond to for the proper use of governmental power. So Mr. Sherman did this, but ended up with a not guilty verdict. Now we have the guy who the informant uh, uh, is not um, the, the actor here as such. It's the undercover agent. Uh, I'm obviously uh, looking at the wrong thing and reading this to you, uh, the summary I have here. The, other, uh, the undercover agent in this case that, that supplied the chemical for Mr. Russell to complete the manufacture of the methamphetamine. So Mr. Russell, as I told you in the first half, was tried and convicted, and he claimed the entrapment defense. So what happened? Well, what happened is that he ends up still being guilty. Here the court rules that the purpose of entrapment has been to exclude prosecution where the government fails to observe its own laws. Here the government did not violate any law. The defendant would clearly have been able to obtain the chemical without the officer's involvement. In fact, he did obtain the, the substance on multiple prior occasions, as was shown by the evidence. The officer's supply of one part does not violate fundamental fairness and doesn't shock the universal sense of justice. Another purpose of the entrapment defense is to show that the officer implants the criminal design in the mind of the defendant. Here, that was not the case. Now, I showed you, mentioned just a moment ago in that first case uh, with Mr. Sherman, I dis discussed that judges write sometimes concurring and sometimes dissenting opinions. This was a very controversial case involving Mr. Russell because two justices dissented. They did not agree with that holding. They did not agree that Mr. Russell should be guilty. The first dissenting opinion, it's not relevant where the ingredients supplied by the agent may have been obtained elsewhere. The supply of the ingredient made the United States an active participant in the unlawful activity. Here the officer was promoting rather than detecting crime. The federal agent was a partner, instigator, or creative brain behind the scenes. He therefore entrapped the defendant. Well, again, this was a dissenting view, so again, still Russell's convicted, stood up. Another judge dissented, disagreed with the ultimate holding of guilty. This justice wrote, the only rational approach to entrapment is to focus on the conduct of the agent and totally ignore whether or not the defendant was predisposed or otherwise innocent. The purpose of the entrapment defense is to prohibit unlawful government activity in instigating the crime. The relevant question must always be whether the government's conduct 
in inducing the crime went beyond a tolerable level, a test that relies on the defendant's predisposition to undertake the crime would rely on very shaky evidence regarding his past behavior and personal attributes. More fundamentally, focusing on the defendant's innocence or predisposition has the direct effect of making what is permissible or impermissible police conduct depend upon the past record and characteristics of the particular defendant involved. I disagree. So, again, this entrapment defense often is really just going to be a a matter of what the judges decide. I want to go a little bit further and give you some real clear examples to, to help those listening here that are interested in this topic perhaps better understand it. Here's an example of clear entrapment. Suppose the police threaten to injure someone, an average law-abiding citizen, unless he delivers a package of drugs to someone else, collects the payment, and brings the money back to the police. The police have entrapped the person because he had no predisposition or intent to engage in criminal activity and did so only under duress, that he would be injured. It's a very simple example of entrapment, and it satisfies both what I described in the first half of the show here, both the objective and the subjective standards because, well, for the objective standard, the police conduct threatening physical harm was extreme. And by the subjective standard, the defendant had no interest in or intent to commit any crime. Another very clear example of entrapment under either the objective or the subjective standard, imagine some homeless guy who's a petty thief and drug addict with prior convictions for possession of small amounts of drugs and minor theft. The police think that he sometimes sells drugs for some local drug pin king or something, and it's but it's a hunch. They don't have proof. So an undercover uh, cop goes up and tells the, the guy uh, on the street uh, and offers him money to pick up and deliver a shipment of drugs. Um, let's just use methamphetamine. I talked about that fine in one of the examples. Coming into town. The shipment is not real. It's been created by the cops. The man tells uh, the undercover police officer that he only uses and doesn't get involved in drug trafficking. So the undercover cop approaches the man every other day for a week, buys him meals, and tries to talk him into a deal. The guy keeps refusing again and again, but he's finally worn down with offers of money and an ounce of the drug and a hotel room for a week. All of this on a day when he's absolutely out of his drugs, his little stash, personal use, and he's desperate to get high. This scenario, as I think you might remember from the first case, is a case of entrapment. The objective standard, the police provided everything for the criminal process, and they preyed on this guy's vulnerabilities to persuade him to commit the crime instead of accepting the answer no. And the subjective standard The guy wasn't interested in being involved in drug trafficking. The cops could not prove that he had a predisposition to commit the crime of drug trafficking. He'd never been convicted. They'd never found him involved in that kind of thing before. Now we have an example of not entrapment. Not entrapment. There is guilt. Here is an example of police that is not entrapment. Police agency sets up a sting operation, putting undercover cops on the street who poses prostitutes to catch individuals who use prostitutes. 
a man goes to an area where street prostitutes are known to be available, and one of the undercover police officers approaches him as he's walking by and says, you know, do you want a date? The man says yes, and he and the undercover police officer agree to a deal and go to an alley where the man is arrested. This is not entrapment because as soon as the police officer posing as a prostitute asks the man if he wants a date and begins discussing the price, the man says yes and agrees on a price and indicates he's ready and willing to hire a prostitute, and they walk down an alley to consummate the the sexual uh, activity. The officer did nothing to persuade or induce the man to hire a prostitute. In this scenario, if the undercover police officer had acted inappropriately in trying to entice the man to pay for the prostitute services, it could be difficult for the defendant to prove entrapment if he has prior convictions for soliciting prostitutes and the prosecutor might have evidence that shows the man was in an area looking to uh, hook up with a prostitute. So in situations where this type of criminal activity goes on, the question is, as as we know, uh, uh, we've seen on TV shows many times, the so-and-so set me up. The so-and-so set me up. Um, I don't know if any of you remember many decades ago, the uh, uh, the then mayor of Washington, D.C., Marion Barry, was caught in a hotel room with a prostitute and drugs. And it was a very famous line that was heard all around the world when uh, police entered the room to arrest him. The B, and I won't say the rest of the word, the B set me up. Well, entrapment is a real defense. Police shouldn't overstep their bounds. Uh, to make uh, To make this sound like I'm on my soapbox, you shouldn't be committing crimes in the first place. In any event, with the legal merry-go-round, I say adieu, and I wait for you next time. Avoid the downs and savor the ups. Thank you for giving me your ear. Thanks for listening to the Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.